0: And to that piece of Lieutenant, that's always uh, on his podcast, passionless, us, All right, everybody. Eric Dim, your most complaint cop, NYPD. This is the finest unfiltered. Here we have the 265 Police Live Series, Along with me is John McCary, the founder and the co-host of the podcast. I think this is going to be a great, uh, this is a great podcast, great episode. Of course, we're talking about complaints against the NYPD. They, the complaints have spiked fifty percent in two thousand twenty-three, the highest total in the decade. And this report is reported by the Daily News. Of course, this is my favorite topic: talking about the civilian complaints. So, John, what are your thoughts?
1: I mean, you know, it, it you know, it seems alarming when you read the title. Complaints are a spike against cops fifty percent in 2023. Um, but I think when you really sit back and look at it, like what the numbers actually are, um, the year prior in 2022 there was about 3,500 complaints, something along those lines, and um, and the following year in 2023 there was like 5,600 complaints, something around there. Like I don't know the exact numbers. But when you look at it as a whole, you're like, oh, my God, the complaints are up, complaints are up. But when you look at it as a whole, and I think this is the part of the How Many Stops Act that the police department didn't look at as it is, it could be a positive to see how many millions of the interactions New York City police officers have with the public every day that, you know, you know, they say there's eight to 12 million people in New York City, but how many times? Are police interacting with with the, those civilians? I mean, it's it's way over eight to twelve million times, and you're getting 5,000 complaints out of those interactions. Um, not that alarming when you look at it like that. You you beat me to the punch, man. That's outstanding. I
0: I love what you said. I was gonna say it uh in a different way, but it's exactly what I was thinking. Think of the same thing. If if the police department if the NYPD documents this properly, the How Many Stops Act, there isn't a flip of the coin, right? I mean, honestly, it's it's our position that this could slow down the this could slow down police work. I even think if it was documented properly, I personally think it could bring policing to a halt. But John Shell had spoken out when he was interviewed and he basically said that the police department's gonna do what they always do, which is circumvent. Minutia circumvent ridiculous paperwork so they could actually do police work. And he said it because there's nuances and they're going to find that sweet spot. So I think his heart's in the right place, but he's not telling the truth that cops are going to be cast. He's suffered by that. So I think you you brought up a great point, right? Even when you look at my record, you say, wow, most complained cop, so many allegations, so many substantiations. Is it really that high when you look at the comparison of how many people that? I myself, along my teams, encountered and interacted with on a daily basis, a weekly basis, a monthly basis, a yearly basis, getting illegal firearms and apprehensions, it's so minuscule. But that's why this title was, was that title zinged in that manner to get everyone's attention because immediately, without knowledge, and if we don't examine it in the perspective analysis that we're given right now, it's alarming. It sounds like it is. But ultimately, it means nothing.
1: Yeah, and what, what happened in 2023 that was different from 2022? I mean, they implement these public safety teams. They implement these neighborhood safety teams. Um, And certain officers go on the offense in the New York City Police Department. They start to pull away from the community model of policing, a model, by the way, that Eric Adams lauded and said that that was the model he was going to go after. And he was like, praising david dinkins right before he got into office ignoring the fact that in the early 90s he actually was praising giuliani and he said that dinkins was too soft on crime but we'll we'll get away from that so he said he was gonna bring down crime but he was also gonna implement the david dinkins model of community safety policing so just more gibberish from eric adams but john shell Kaz Daughtry, uh, who was a detective at the time for most of 2023, they implement these. Oh, and this the CRT, the Community Response Team, they implement that. So they're doing proactive police work. What happens when you do proactive police work? Like Eric often says, the byproduct of that is you will, you will receive complaints.
0: I think what this title shows, so for most people, this title is meant to be misleading to get the idea in your head that the police department is acting with malice, and that's quite the opposite. What it does reveal is what Adams is not telling the public is that the police department, on a whole, even in a diminished police department is right now, is doing intrusive police work. Because again, just as you said, and mirror what we always say, civilian complaints are a byproduct, a byproduct of intrusive police work, and what Adams is not telling the public is that in order to keep crime down, which he claims crime is down, but it also actually reflects what we've we, we been saying on this podcast, that crime is actually up. Because if it wasn't up, the cops wouldn't have to do intrusive police work and ultimately mirror the result of an increased amount of complaints. So, let John, let's get into when cops are doing intrusive police work, and they're definitely doing more intrusive police work now with the CRT team. We know it because of the vehicle pursuits. We know because... Michael Kemper talks about the intrusive police work that's going on the subway when they are addressing broken windows in the subway to make these apprehensions. So let's go into some of the factors that you and I believe increase the amount of complaints.
1: Yeah, so let's let's just go back. They're saying that this is the highest amount of complaints in a decade. So go back to 2012. You have around the same number, right? Five thousand. But I actually think those are more. Organic complaints in 2012 because we're doing proactive police work and we do not have the policy in place that the NYPD currently has in place now. And what that is, is basically what I'm going to say is when you look at that 5,000 number, when you look at that 5,500 number of complaints that the NYPD got in 2023, and now you break that down because the critics of this show are going to be like, whoa, 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 that's 5,000 people that said that the police department did something wrong. And I'm going to say, Whoa, whoa, whoa. No, it's not. How many times, how many of those complaints do you, if you had to guesstimate, because now we have a system in place, threat resistance injury report, that every time force is used, we document that, right? We put it on a threat and resistance injury report. We notify IAB. IAB forwards that to CCRB. Guess what? CCRB, right? CCRB takes the case, right? So what happens? There's a CCR complete complaint generated. Did that person complain to the NYPD? No. So that's one factor that I think is a huge factor is those, is us self-reporting CCRBs by doing proactive police work in, in scenarios where force is required to be used. Eric, if you had a guess, how many would you say out of that 5,500? Just a guess off the top of your head. We didn't look at these numbers in depth. What what would you think is is, is like it, it, it could be between 10-20 percent of you know of, of the overall 5,500 that are self-reported based just on solely on tri reports?
0: Honestly, I would say at least half. I would say at least half are based on self-initiated cases because of tri report tri reports, because especially right now with this new phenomenon of assaults. Every time the police department is encountering a potential adversary or suspect, there is a chance to fill out a TRI report, especially since they're being attacked. Because what the public doesn't know is when the police officers are attacked, they also fill out a TRI. Not only is it when the police officers use force against a subject, but when force is used upon a police officer, it's TRI generated. So ultimately, in that circumstance, the Civilian Company Review Board would be notified also. And just because the police department was attacked, that doesn't mean that there's not CCRB generated. Because you and I both know from Arva Rice, it's not based on what the police department succumbed in that incident. It's about what the civilian feels.
1: Another factor, another big, big factor that nobody talks about, and it's not in this article at all, what happens in 2023? CCRB can self-generate complaints meaning nobody complained about the police nobody complained about the police ccrb saw a video got third party information fourth party information whatever that whatever that looks like somehow came into a thing and said hey this might be this might be a case that we want to investigate and they now have the authority to self initiate cases and we don't know what that number is and i'm going to again say it's very high i'm gonna take a guess and say that number of self-generation cases is high one because we keep asking and we haven't had the answer and two because i can't find it anyway
0: well i'm glad that we're talking about this now because i i find it extremely problematic and i don't agree that the civilian complaint review board has the authority to self-initiate cases i think that the cases should have to be based on a complaint The reason why I say is because even the even the the criteria that CCRB has the right to oversee and to investigate is very subjective. It's force of abuse, abuse of authority, discourtesy, and offensive language, and it's it's every case is subjective and needs perspective from the complainant in cooperation with the police department. So I don't think that they should even have the right to have a self-initiated case, because if I'm going to, let's, let's, let's use offensive language as a as a rhetorical means to a civilian complaint. So if I'm the CCRB and I'm watching an interaction with a police officer, several police officers with potential adversaries or just, just potential victims or witnesses, and if there's foul language being used and they don't find it offensive, is it offensive language? What are your thoughts on, the, on self-initiated, the ability of CCRB to do self-initiated cases?
1: I, I, I think that you hit the nail on the head when you said that. It, it, it depends on what the complainant's perception of that case is, and that matters overall of what the public perception is. Right. Because there's details that you don't see when you see a video or you have something from third party information. I'm going to give you a little story. It's a true story. I'm not going to get into the de- specific details. But a lieutenant and a cop are driving. They pull over a male black in the car. Now, I don't know what they were being pulled over for, but a third party on the corner videotapes that stop in that interaction. The lieutenant and the cop take the gentleman out. They frisk him. They take his name down. He gets back in the car and he leaves. The third party sends that case to, to to CCRB. He's the complainant, not the guy that was stopped and frisked. Now, in my head, when I saw that video, I'm saying they smelled marijuana in that car and they searched the car to see if anything else was in it and they let him go. They he I and I believe that that male was sm- smoking marijuana. What the uh, CCRB tracks down that male that was driving the car through the third party information. They get a hold of the plate. The plate, you know, the plate comes back to the guy. They they get a hold of the person that was actually stopped by the police. And his words were, "The police were doing their job. I got no problem with the police. I don't want to file a complaint with the police." The lieutenant and the cop both received charges for abuse of authority.
0: That is a, first of all, that is a fantastic case. Just the fact that that actually happened proves exactly what we're saying here. Right? I, I think that's exactly it. His perspective of that encounter was that the police department did their job, they did it appropriately, and he was satisfied. So if he's not making a complaint, if he doesn't feel that there was offensive language or discourage or that the police abused their authority, clearly there was no force involved. Why are we proceeding with a complaint? It, it just, it doesn't make any sense. So basically, if, if, even though even though in his perspective of that encounter was appropriate, the civilian complaint review board still followed through. So ultimately, if there's administrative trial with those cops, that, that motorist who should be the complainant, who's not, is not going to testify. So this is all based on third-party information. And to convict someone, even at an administrative trial, based on the preponderance of evidence, when it comes to your civil service rights as an employee, I think it's just, uh, that's an overreach. And I think that's an abuse of authority in itself.
1: Yeah. And then going to, let's talk about, there's another factor. There's a huge factor, actually. There were 5,500 complaints in 2012, something around that. 10 years later, a decade later, 2023, there's about 5,600 complaints. But there were so many less allegations in 2020, in in, uh, 2012. Now that we have all of these allegations, one that the CCRB is hot and heavy on, which is the profiling allegation, which we said is a ridiculous allegation based off a feeling, but there's so many other things, body camera, there's a million CCRB and uh, shut off the body camera too early, uh, didn't put the body camera on discourteous on the body camera, right? All these different allegations popped up. And now going into 2024 with this How many Stops Act, there's going to be several more allegations that internal affairs is going to come up with that they're going to report to CCRB. They'll all fall under abuse of authority or discourtesy or whatever it will. But there'll be things that CCRB will investigate based upon a a new procedure that's put in place. And every time, by the way, the NYPD is putting a procedure in place, you should automatically be thinking, well, what happens when I fail to do that? What what's my allegation when I fail to do that, or I get accused of failing to do that, or I get told I'm doing that improperly, and several out more allegations will arise out of each new policy the NYPD puts in place. So uh, when I, when I look at it as a whole like that, I'm like, it's really not that many allegations. It's it's, it's really not that many complaints. I
0: think I think that this number is is so minuscule in comparison to what the police department actually does and what people don't understand is these actual these complaints should should actually be looked at through a different lens and they should say okay who are these complaints coming from and the cops that are getting these complaints what's their role in the police department if you're doing public safety work if you're doing neighborhood safety teams or conditions. Uh, I hear they have new conditions teams, things like that. So you're doing intrusive police work, which means that your police work is self initiated. You're not working off 9-1-1 off You're investigating potential robbery patterns in your area, conditions that affect your particular precinct or where you're working. And you're also watching people for behavioral indicators that mimic someone is casing someone or who's going to have a firearm. So you're constantly encountering people, you're having stops counters, the byproduct is going to be complaints. Now, if you're someone who's on patrol and you're answering the radio, you might have some complaints, yes, if you happen to be an active guy. But if you're someone that is just out there in in a presence presence type of role, maybe you, you work fixed post or you stand in transit, but you're not actually interacting with the public, Very little. And the times that you do, that generates a civilian complaint. Now, that's something questionable. Here's someone not doing intrusive police work, and they're getting complaints. That's something that should be looked at. But someone who's doing intrusive police work and is getting complaints from violent perpetrators, and yet that's heavily weighted, and you become the most complained cop, I will say this. For the men and women that are out there right now, you know what? My hat is actually off to them. The fact that they're under the gun by body cameras, right to know act, all this legislation, and now with the how many stops act, and they're still out there doing the job generating complaints. Thank God that we have men and women that are willing to do this, but there are a small percentage that is willing to do this, and that is not a lot of complaints at all. Five thousand complaints is nothing, and the the men and women that have their boots on the ground who are getting the complaints. Unless you're in that position I described, you have my full support.
1: Yeah, and what's never looked at is that, right? Like the the level of of police work that you're doing and what you're doing, right? And the complaints, like the complaints that are looked at as lesser complaints shouldn't be the ones that are looked at as lesser complaints. You're pulling over a 60 year old woman and giving her an attitude and she feels like she's going to waste her time now and file a complaint against you because you're rude, discourteous. You said this to her or, you know, basic interaction with a citizen at a job that you went to. You responded to a 911 call, something like that. I think those are the more egregious CCRBs and that need addressing more than, hey, I got this guy that's chasing guns every night and he locks up violent felons and he uses force when he does. Because guess what? If you're not using force, you're not going to get home to your family that night. and You're probably not going to live a long life or make it out of your career. Um, So that's one thing. And then, again, it always falls back to we're going to we're going to make this about a race thing. We're going to make this we're going to show that a predominantly minority police department that is ran by chocolate, as Eric Adams likes to say, that his administration is ran by chocolate. We're going to say that they're racist and you know Edwin Raymond made the claim that well the system's racist i don't believe that i don't believe the system's racist i believe that the police department is targeting crime and they're going after who is committing the crime and regardless of what that makeup is it doesn't matter that does not prove or disprove anything and and like again that's not looked at it's not looked at when a blonde-haired blue-eyed lieutenant's running around the south blocks and it's a 99% Uh, black and brown community and and we're not looking at that fact well look at all the people he stops are black well it's like yeah everyone that lives in his neighborhood where his geographic location where he works is black so that would make sense as opposed to myself is everybody that i stop in in my geographic uh, neighborhood is going to be a male because guess what that is who is committing the crime in my geographic area of employment I mean, so we, there's so many factors that they're not looking at here. And the other one that they're not looking at is the number of allegations. How many allegations are put on each one of these complaints by CCRB? How many more allegations are there now compared to 2012? We're not looking at any of that stuff. And I really think that needs to get looked at deeply, much more deeply than the number of complaints. And, and the public should understand that. The public should be made aware, because I think even now, you know, Eric has like this this air about him that he's a he's a horrible person, and he was a terrible cop because he has these complaints. And you know, and then everyone that speaks to Eric's like, "Wow, I didn't know he, he's really a nice guy." And I'm like, "Yeah," I'm like, "And guess what? He was really a good cop too. He just he just did his job."
0: I mean, let, let's be honest. I mean, most of, of most of my complaints, in particular, the Complainants who are perpetrators, who are most of them are actually not just arrestees, they're inmates somewhere upstate. So they're imprisoned. They've had 50, 70 arrests, 25 felonies, 30 felonies. We're not talking about the old lady that you said. So the weight of these complaints should not have the same weight, exactly what you said, great point, by some old lady that you're encountering. You know, if you're abusive and you're you're showing your dominance over some old lady, you know what? You should get a complaint. I got a problem with those cops too. John, I know you do. But I have no problem, even with the CRT team who has attacked this podcast, we've actually shown great support. I have no problem with them getting complaints from some guy that has 25 felonies who's already shot six people. Do we really care about that complaint? But that's what they don't tell the public. They don't tell the public. That's why I said it's so important. Who are the cops getting these complaints? What type of work do they do? And who are making these complaints? I mean, that old woman that had an interaction with Mayor Eric Adams, and he had to step on her and put her in a place. If that was a cop, I would say that cop should get a civilian complaint. But in this case, it was the mayor, and he showed that he had thin skin. But when you're dealing with an app, right? When you deal with a, a, a violent perpetrator who's got numerous felonies, that person shouldn't even have the right to make a complaint. It's absolutely ridiculous, and that's what the people don't understand. Again, these complaints are coming from perpetrators. There is a complete dichotomy from complaints from perpetrators from complaints from the average citizen, and this is something that should be examined on, on, on when it comes to simply a complaint board. And there should be different units, there should be well. These are complaints from someone who has an arrest record versus someone who's an everyday obliging citizen. They should not have the same
1: weight. It's, you know, I you know, and I, that's not to say, you know, that's not to say that because you have a criminal past that your complaint shouldn't be taken seriously. That's not what that's to say. But when you're actually involved in a crime or you have alleged to have been committing a crime and the police are proactively interacting with you because they are alleging that you would be part of a crime it shouldn't be as heavily weighted as those ccrbs and by the way if eric adams was still a cop today he would have no ccrbs from violent felons he would have only the type of ccrbs that he had him being rude to old women and people in the public, and him being thin-skinned and arrogant, and all of those things—like he would have those complaints—that you know what, this isn't a good guy, and maybe I wouldn't really want my tax money going for somebody like this to police the streets of New York City. So if I had to take two careers and and like and put them together, I would one thousand percent say. Do I want my money to employ Eric Adams to go out there in the police department to keep my family safe, to make sure that my children are safe in school, my wife is safe on her way to work, my mother's safe when she's walking to the store? I could take the subway and the bus in peace, or do I want to my tax money to go and employ Eric Dim? I choose Eric Dim hands down every time. I don't even hire Eric Adams.
0: I mean I mean it's it's a complete facade and that's why I, I couldn't wait when I reached out to you before you and I got together doing this podcast, but when I, when you had started this podcast by yourself and I reached out to you and I was still on the job and I said, I can't wait to speak out. I mean, cause you know, they created this facade that for the people that didn't know me that I was, I was some kind of monster and rightfully so if you're the public and you don't know me, and you don't, and you don't understand the inner linings of police work, you're thinking, wow, this guy has 200 some more complaints or allegations and he's, he, I mean, he's just a menace to the public. That's what you would think. But what they didn't tell the public is that he runs a special operations team, and he's out there getting violent perpetrators in the South Bronx, and he's getting perpetrators that have already shot people. They were in possession of firearms. They're doing casework. They're finding out that they're they're part of a, a ring, a gang that's facilitating crime, where they shot kids, five year old kids, and they're out there pursuing these perpetrators to bring them to custody. And it's those interactions that led to complaints it wasn't well we saw this perpetrator that had a past and because he had a past we then picked on him and had an interaction i believe i always say i believe if you have a past you deserve a second chance that's the whole point of serving time that's supposed to be your rehabilitation but if you just shot someone and we got information that you're in possession of a firearm and you're going to shoot someone else and we stop you and encounter you well, it's, a, it, it's highly likely that that's going to be a physical confrontation and there's going to be some cursing involved because our lives are on the line and we want to go home unlike what's happening to the cops right now. And that generates a civilian complaint. That's what they don't tell the public. It's a complete mirage and a facade. And that's why I own the most complained cop and I wear it as a moniker because it's completely laughable. And it's just it, it just shows how ridiculous this is. I mean... Still, there are reporters, there's people that are scared to talk to me because I still have that image of the most complained cop. But we will make a seismic shift and change that, and we we will have the public understand how ridiculous this is. And the good cops out there, just like how we interviewed uh, retired NYP Detective Ralph Freeman, the most decorated detective ever, he understood it because he knows what it takes, and he knows it's a byproduct of good police work.
1: Yeah. And I think what people think when they and I I even had cops like before I put out your interview, they said, oh, I thought he was going to be like a like a mo like, oh, yeah, bro. I'm out there pulling steel, blah, blah, blah. You know, you got to do what you got to do, you know, like and they were like, wow, it wasn't like that at all. You know, he was very educated. He was very well spoken. He you know, he articulated uh, case law very well and he was proficient and competent in his job. And I was like. But I'm like, I and I said it, and I said at the time, and, and I'll say it again, that like your career from 2018 on is the perfect case study of what happens currently in the NYPD and in any police department where this progressive model has taken hold. And what will happen if you go out there and proactively police like we were trained to do, like we did for the most part of our career? Because I'm not going to lie, I stepped back on, on the de Blasio. I was like, I'm not doing this anymore, you know. I, I'm out here every night playing a deadly game, and I'm the only one with anything to lose, you know. And I got two kids at home. I got, you know, I got all these other responsibilities, and I don't see a clear path to victory here. And I don't even mm-hmm. see that you want me arresting anyone, or that anyone's going to, or or you want uh, the New York City Police Department to keep people safe. But you put all of that stuff aside, and you continue to do it, and you put yourself out there and said no i'm going to do it somebody has to do this and you did your job and you did it the way you were trained and you did it legally and by law and because you did that you you were basically demonized and you're still till today in retirement and for the rest of your life until this until this is understood and properly understood by the public you will be demonized the rest of your life for doing what the new york city taxpayer Pays and expects you to do, and what people that call 911 expect the police to do when they arrive. That's a great point. And I love the fact when we bring up
0: 2018, because I think 2018 was the climatic change when it came to CCRP that ultimately affected the cops. If I look, rhetorically speaking, if I had gotten on the job earlier and if I retired right before the start of 2018 there would not be an article as the most complained cop and i don't mean to sound conceited but i'm just want to make a comparison here i think there might be an article in celebration of my career and say here's a one of the most decorated cops or decorated leaders of the NYPD," and i think i would have been looked at as a hero and i'm not asking to be a hero i mean all the awards that i've ever gotten i threw them in the garbage because my and it's not an insult to the people that gave me the award. It's because I always said, it, it, for me, it's here, and I don't need to carry things. I'm more of a minimalist, and so for me, it's in my heart. And it's in my mind, but it's when you look. And for me, it was like a complete. It, it was almost like, like they put a fence, and I jumped over the fence. And in 2018, on my career completely changed, and I went from hero, as the cliche sounds, to zero. And yet, I was that guy. I thought. Well, someone has to do it. I and mean, then you and I talked about this, and I felt I had to do it. But I, I believed, I really did in my heart, and that's what I'm trying to tell the guys that are out there now, I believed in my heart that the public would know, even the media and the police department, they would say, this guy knows case law. He's out there. He's out there with a good heart and a good mind trying to get bad guys off the street. We can't hurt this guy. Because this guy is actually cares about the public. I didn't realize that I was actually becoming a casualty of progressive politics and this woke leadership. And I was being sold out by the job and the unions. And that's why I'm I'm so expressive when it comes to civilian complaint review board and the correlation with the discipline matrix. Because I want to help the men and women that are out there right now. You're out there and, and if you're doing intrusive police work, believe me, my hat's off to you. Someone has to do it. Do it. But I don't want you to get into my position, because it will it will affect you. I, I believe forever, not just your, pro, your professional life, your entire life.
1: Yeah, your commitment, your commitment to the job and to the mission at hand, and to what you believe the the police department wanted you to do, really led you astray. You were put on this board, on this game board, right, and you played the game the way that they told you to play it. And you were like, you didn't worry about yourself and you didn't worry about your future and your career and even your life and all that. And you went on that chessboard and you played the game, the way it was set up for you. And that's what happened to you by putting your faith and you, and no, these things are going to work. But like, what do what are the unions in the NYPD tell you? Right. They all tell you, don't do this job. Right. Don't do this job. If you're a cop, what do they tell you? Call your sergeant. If you're a sergeant, what do they tell you? Don't do anything. Call your lieutenant. If you're a lieutenant, what do they do? Call the captain. If you're a captain, what do they tell you? Call the inspector. Call the chief. Put it on the borough. Do this. If you're on the borough, what do they tell you? Call operations. Put it on operations. Right. Everything is a CYA because the entire job, the entire system of policing in the NYPD is set up for you to fail. Now, guys don't believe that. Right. You got like the CRT lieutenant, the two lieutenants, big, tough guys and the captain, big, tough guy that, you know, for the main for the main thing. And they don't and they don't see that. They don't see that because right now they're close to the they're close to the king. Right. They're close. You know, this is Game of Thrones. And right now that they're at the hand of the king and they're close to him. Detective Kaz Daugherty ran that unit the whole time before he was ever promoted. I think that's clear as day. So for, they worked for their boss, even though he out, they outranked him by about seven ranks. They, they uh, they, uh, they you know, he still ran that union. But because they're close to the hand of the king and they're there, they feel that everything that we're saying now is not accurate, even though their guys are going down to CCRB every day, even though their guys are going down to IB every day, even though they will not make a 20-year career. Like Eric Dim did. You're not going to make a 20-year career. You're definitely not going to make a 20-year career like Ralph Friedman did. You're 100% not even going to make it like Eric Dim did. You're not getting there. You will be shelved. You will either be shelved or your career or your freedom or your life will be a casualty. Because, because not because you're a bad cop and not because you're a bad guy, but because you trusted. You trusted the messaging and you trusted this management and you trusted this progressive system that you played in. It's not anything, and and honestly, you're the people that we want on the job. Like the guys, that's who you want. You want the guys that are like, I am i don't care. I'm gonna go out, I'm gonna, that building's burning, it's running, I'm, I'm running into it. That, mm-hmm. that guy's shooting at everybody, everybody's running this way, I'm going that way. So you're the perfect model of the police officers that we want, however, to not see the flaws in the system or to even defend it, is insane. Uh, you
0: are spot on. Everything you said is absolutely spot on. A thousand percent. I Like John said, I agree with everything you just said. It's spot on. Absolutely. I, I would say this. I used to tell my cops this. And I understood that it was almost like pain attacks, right? You're in plain clothes. You have, you have steady days off. You get first pick at the overtime. You have There are amenities that you get because you're doing the intrusive police work. You're part of a small percentage. But part of that also, because of that, you were paying a tax. You would get investigated more often by the CCRB. You would get investigated more often by the uh, inspections unit or internal affairs because you're generating more paperwork. But what I would tell my cops is this. And unfortunately, I was right. I said that you have to be very savvy when you do police work, and you have to really understand the case law. Because when you get investigated by CCRB or these other units, it's almost like you're going to your own funeral. In a sense that all these people are with you, right? You have your your commanding officer when you're in the precinct who's pushing you and rah-rah-rah, they're supporting you, and they're clapping for you because they're getting promoted based on the police work that you're doing when you're part of the intrusive police work but it's like going to your funeral because when those investigations come because it takes several years by the time all these investigations start to mount up on you those commanding officers have moved on in their careers and they don't go to those investigations with you so it's almost like you go to a funeral because you're going alone that's what the crt team doesn't understand. Just as you said, that's a great analogy and a great metaphor. They're close to the king. So they don't see themselves having to go to these investigations alone because they're not going to them. But eventually what's going to happen is these investigations will pile up. But once the king, the the man of the throne right now that's there, or several of them that they're under, which we know of, once they're out and the regime changes, then these guys will go to their funeral. And I don't mean it that they're deaf. I mean, metaphorically, they will go to these investigations. And John Shell and Kaz Daughtry and Jeffrey Madry won't be there for them. They'll be retired. They'll be there somewhere else. And they won't even have their phone number. They're going to be on their own.
1: Oh, absolutely. And the captain and the lieutenant, too. They won't be anywhere to be found. The two lieutenants, they won't be anywhere to be found. You know, you're going to be dealing with those, those car crashes yourself. So that's that's 1000 percent And you know, even now that they're, they're promoting like the drones. Did you see that? They were promoting the drones. What what did the drone do? You were still chasing the car. So now you have these guys <laughs> playing with a drone while they're driving cars through New York City streets? It's like, oh cool. yeah, yeah. I, just, I, just monitor the drone while you're flying through the street. It's like, oh yeah, great idea. How about how, but I did but I, but I, but but to say one thing though, I did like the other model that they were doing, and I thought that was the good model. If they could not if they could not d- be involved in that pursuit if it's not insane and then just go get that car and track that car down and, and just impound the car and then and then deal with it later, lock the people up later. I think that that's that was the model that we had, and that was the model that should be in place. That's the that's the safer model for public safety. All right, you just lost your car, guy. You're coming in, all right. Now, yeah, you you want your car back? Yeah, come sit with our detectives and let us know who is driving your car. Oh, you don't know? Okay, you're not getting your car back. Yeah. You know? i agree
0: it's smart policing it's smart policing it's precision policing and it's using your tools and your resources but i have put on twitter this is my question what do you think about this john and if i'm if i'm wrong if i shouldn't be thinking in this way it's such a great tool yes but if that tool goes if it's such a great tool is it going to be available to all uniform cops or is it just available to crt
1: it's definitely only going to be available to CRT. I, I think. I, I first of all, I don't think the money is there for it. I know they're on the cheaper end, but to now, where are these guys carrying this now? You got everything that you're required to carry, which, by the way, you can't put on because even even the equipment they give you is impossible to carry. Never mind follow the procedure that they give you. But what are you going to do now? You're going to oh, we're going to give you another leg bag. Wait for your drone, so you could just throw your drone up. And you know, and uh, I saw Alamo put something out too. And he said, these drones last at most. And and then this is like on the high end drone, 45 minutes. Most drones have like a four minute, like life rate. Like you throw it up, it lasts for four minutes and that thing's coming down, you know? Uh, But like the higher end one's 45 minutes. Um, How is that effective? It's gonna have to be towards a specialized unit, you know? Um, But I just think it's crazy to even say, all right, yeah, hold on, I'm, I'm documenting this. You fly the drone, who's driving the car? Who's driving the car? I'm just going on my knees. I'm like this, and then I, you know I haven't eaten, so let me have my coffee first. It's
0: ridiculous. Let, let me let me ask I you this. To
1: put my body camera on. Hold on, hold on, hold on. I forgot to put my body camera on.
0: <laughs> <laughs> let me ask you this. Do you think this is a little far fetched? But is it possible that you and I at work together? Oh, we have that third man in the car, right? If somebody has to monitor the body cam. Or someone has to monitor the dash cam. Someone has to drive it. Someone's going to monitor the drone. Is it possible we made that apprehension and we get a civilian complaint self-initiated from CCLB that we've used our authority to make that
1: apprehension? I mean, but, but that's the thing. Complaints are... You like same thing I say about suing. Everyone's going to sue me. I'm like, you could sue a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. That's fine. You know, like, so you could sue whatever the hell you want. You could file a complaint against whatever you want. You know, I mean, anytime you're doing police work. The complaint is always there, the threat. But I don't think like you were never scared of it. I was never scared of it. Most people on the job, you just don't think about the complaint. Because for the majority of our career. If it wasn't legitimate, you really had nothing to worry about. But now you're seeing like a targeted complaint and that complaint, you know, the preponderance of evidence that's being used is set up against you because the the, the end goal is to find you guilty. It's not to find the truth. It's not to say, all right, well, did, did this cop do this or didn't he do it? No, it's to like, oh, maybe, you know what? He didn't do that, but he didn't shave. He didn't do this. He didn't do that. He didn't do this. He didn't do that. And it brings up all these other things into question. And basically, you're not walking away on SCAR, even though you didn't even do what you were complained about.
0: Absolutely perfect. You're absolutely right. I actually, you know, I say it all the time. You could feel the difference. For any cops that are out there, if you're watching this podcast, please leave a comment on YouTube. And I'm curious if you, if you can... If you can agree or have any uh, commonalities and simulate with what I'm saying here. If you were on the job before 2018 and you had a civilian complaint or if you had one after 2018, please tell me how you felt because I felt the investigation, the interview was completely different. It had changed immensely. Not only did the interview change, the the way that it was perceived by the union members that were there and also the attorneys had changed completely because before 2018, some of the CCRBs I had, I remember being cool, calm, you know, have lunch, go to civilian complaint. The attorneys would be laughing about it. The union attorneys would be laughing about it. Because, this complaint is a joke. It's not going anywhere. You did great police work, you know, because you, you know, you. you You spoke about it for a minute, just gave a brief synopsis of what happened. Ah, This isn't going anywhere. This is absolutely ridiculous because it's exactly what you said. Because you can make a complaint against anybody. There doesn't have to be any substance to it. And that's what they don't tell the public. But after 2018, these interviews became like a crime scene. Intense, where they ask you uh, the questions were so detailed. And they were engineered to get you into a misleading or intentional lie to get you terminated, it completely changed. It really changed the game, and it felt different, and the attorney's response was completely different, and they felt it, and they and they knew that the correlation between the civilian complaint interview and your termination or suspension or discipline was of high probability, and the matter completely changed. Uh, did, did you ever hear anything like this from cops, or what did you think about it as, as the liaison?
1: Well, I mean... You could totally under the Blasio. I I like they forced me into the liaison spot under the Blasio and. The whole system changed, I mean, and that was like the biggest eye opening of my career was going there. I was like, oh, my God, they don't care. They really do not care. Nothing's taken into account. Everything is just CYA for the department, you know, but yes, there was more of a. The CCRB still didn't have the authority, but they were advocating for more of authority. And they won, by the way, you know, because obviously you could see now um, you could see they pushed back. And my job was basically to give them only what the city charter said they could get and nothing else. And I thought I did a great job of that, you know, but there was always they were always able to pressure the administration to get whatever they wanted. And my whole theory was I was like, wow. I'm like, they don't want CCRB to complain about me and my people, but they want, but they don't want me, they don't want them to complain to the police commissioner or to the chief of internal affairs or to whoever. They don't want those complaints, but they don't want them getting what they they can't get either. So, so my whole ethos and the whole thing was, I'd rather get in trouble for not giving it to them then giving it to them and then they leak something or it gets in trouble. So I basically, I like the upper echelon on the PD was what's going on. Give it to them. What's going on? I was like, okay, as per you, like, that's fine. I'll give it to them as per you. No problem. You know, um, because that was my ethos in the whole situation. But most of the stuff I didn't give to them now they have full access to, and now they're vying for body cameras. Right. And they're going to get full access to body cameras. And then once they get that, the amount of self-generated complaints are going to go through the roof because they're basically going to be, they're going to have people on standby going through your body camera video, curse this, that, you know, and whatever they could handle for the year. And by the way, that was the one thing in that article that we didn't talk about, but I want to highlight how long did it take them to investigate a complaint? One complaint. It took the CCRB 14 months for over a year to investigate one complaint. What does that tell me? Incompetence, Mm -hmm. inept, yet they're pushing for more funding, more staff, and they're trying to grab and do everything they can to justify their own existence. What I see is a failed agency struggling to exist, looking for funding, and they're trying to do it on the backs of the men and women in the New York City Police Department. That's what I see. Yes, has that stuff changed? I mean, look at Ralph Freeman. What did he say? Before he wasn't online, he didn't say this online, but he said, I used to go to CCRB, we would do six. They would do six in a day with me. It wasn't a big deal. He never had one, he never had one 200 complaints, never had one. I'm sure <laughs> I'm sure if you fast forward to today, he gets more substantiations than ever in, in this environment.
0: Absolutely. I think that's a great point when you say, but let's, let, let's say this right now. I got to calculate in front of me, right? How many, compl- how many complaints are they saying was 5,500 the
1: 2023? Around
0: 5,500, something like that. Around Let's, let's just say, right. I just want to prove that, you know, ultimately what's the ultimate goal by saying this, right? Because public safety should be the most important thing and not people's feelings. Right. But let's just say, all let's rhetorically say that all five thousand, let's say five thousand encounters are egregious, and there are twenty-five hundred of them are offensive language, one thousand are discourteous, one thousand is too much abuse, and maybe five hundred there is abuse of authority. Let's say all five thousand are horrible. Even with that margin of error, how many encounters does the police department have a year? John Shell had given a number. You know what that number was. I don't know. How much of, but what would you, what would you, what would you guess to me that the police department has, if you had to pick a number, it counts us for the entire right year?
1: I'm gonna say right now. I'm gonna put this number out. This is not a verified number. I don't know this to be a fact. I'm just gonna go off the last few times I've been in the city. The last few times I've been running around Brooklyn. I've been in Staten Island. And from what my friends tell me, who are working and on the street and all different units and on patrol, I'm just gonna give you a number. I'm gonna say there's roughly. 13 to 15,000 officers out on the street every day, right? 13 to 15,000. So now one third of those people had one complaint a year. That's what that means to me, right? One third of those complaints that are the people that are on the street and and they've had, you give one of them, it's one third of the department has a complaint, one complaint. uh, um, So I'm going to say that's, that's just on that so how many interactions have those 12 to 15,000 people had within a year depending on the proactive teams like you get a CRT team they're stopping 20 30 people a night and and, and and you know even even in if you're on patrol and you're not a proactive cop you still have 20 30 maybe 40 interactions with people a night so the interactions are in the millions they're in the millions what, so what so let's
0: so let, let let's say that rhetorically speaking let's say there's 5,000 complaints and let's just say there's two million stops a year we know it's far way, more than that
1: right way higher than that because again it's not you're not just getting a complaint off a stop forget the stops there's millions of stops I'm saying there's way more than that because we're talking 911 calls we're talking interactions dude. What are you looking at? Somebody's, you know, like a million different things. That's not even a 911 call or a stop. Interactions with the public, 20 million,
0: more. Well, that's my my point. So that's what I'm saying. Even if these 5,000 were so egregious and they were all substantiated complaints, it's still less than a half of a percent of the entire interactions the police department has in a year. And we both know that out of those 5,000, probably not even half are legitimate. So High. if High. Right, exactly, if all 5,000 were advanced interactions, that's still a good number. And I'll take that margin of error if that equates to public safety versus what the model that we have right now.
1: Yeah. I was in IAB for two years and eight months. I saw... 15 16 eh, a little bit more maybe I saw like 30 40 things that were like corruption or misconduct that were legit like 30 or 40 things like that I was like oh wow most of what I seen was was nonsense you know. And I didn't investigate any cases, but I had high-level access. Like I did, most of those complaints are not legitimate. I mean, and that's the other thing the public doesn't understand is this is a tool, especially for people that are heavily involved in criminal activity, such as as organized crime, drug dealing, robbery rings. What they will do is, and it's a defense attorney. One, it's a defense attorney strategy. If you get arrested by a guy like Eric Dim, what do I have to do? I have to discredit Eric Dim. What do I do? I make all my friends file complaints against Eric Dim. Now Eric Dim has five, six complaints. Right? He now he's like he's backing off me because he can't get any more complaints because he's trying to get promoted or whatever he's trying to do, or like the system's just going to come down on him, or he wants to stay on the street and he doesn't want to get benched. So that's one discredit Eric Dim. And and the other thing is, the other thing is, I want to partake in my criminal activity. There's a team of guys. They drive around. There's six, seven, eight guys in that precinct that actively go after the high-level criminal in that precinct. They know who they are. They know what they're up to. And the target is those eight or nine guys, whatever that is, those cops, and they complain about them until they're dead in the water. And that's a strategy that's used by criminals and it's a strategy used by defense attorneys. And nobody talks about that.
0: I love it. I used to talk about that all the time. You're absolutely right. I used to say that, What's even better than surveillance is counter-surveillance. The police department is doing surveillance on the public. And I would say, yeah, how a job, especially doing anti-crime, you know, we both did anti-crime, sergeants, lieutenants, was to know the adversaries, know the perpetrators, know your area of employment inside and out, know the family members. But did we know the adversaries as good as they knew us? Because the perpetrators knew us better than we knew them. Exactly that. Even in PSA 7, high level of violence, we had we had several teams of anti-crime teams. But even that, we had three anti-crime teams at one time. And it, at the height of it, the max, well, I would have six guys to a team. So that's two, with three teams. That's 18 guys. And I had a cruise suppression team with five guys. So at the height of it, when there was a, a a higher amount of cops working, I would say the maximum amount of cops that I had to do with intrusive police work. Many assigned to me, but the actual ones doing intrusive police work were 25 to 30. But how many of them are actually working in one day? Because some have court and they have a day off. Probably three quarters, so maybe 20 on the street. So in an area like PSA Seven, where you're working the confines of 40 and the 42 precinct with the highest the highest concentration of housing in the entire city, the confines of the 40, 20 cops in comparison to the amount of adversaries and perpetrators that, that were in that area with the with the, the violence and the, and, and the crime was minuscule. It's nothing. So you're 100% right. They were doing counter surveillance. They knew the cars that we operated. They knew who we, who we were. They knew the times that we worked. You would see the correlation between certain crimes happening in comparison to the times that we're working. So I say the best of, best surveillance is counter surveillance.
1: 100%. What about 911 calls? How many, how many times... Did you hear a nine one one call come over the radio, and you're like, "Somebody just made us, and they want us to leave here and go around the block or three blocks away"? How many times a night you think you heard a nine one one call that you're like, "This is bullshit. They're just trying to pull us off of somewhere that that they don't want us." Oh, that was quite often. That's why.
0: That's why I I always taught my guys it took an extreme amount of discipline to not chase the radio because it's listen. It's in your blood. It's in your heart. When you're a cop and you're out there and you hear certain things on the radio, you want to run to it. But that's where the extreme amount of discipline comes in when you're doing anti-crime, especially as a special operational tenant, where you create that radio discipline. Like, Listen, we heard that call, stay put, because that call may be a ruse to get us to another area so that a shooting happens. You are absolutely right. That's a huge tack that's used by the perpetrators, especially when it comes to shootings. Absolutely.
1: Yeah, get them out of here. Get them all out there. Send the 1013 over here. Cop calling for help. You're like, I know this is this is fake. I know it. But like, you know, you got to you got to, you know, some people have to go. But when you're in, in, in the units where you could surveil, you're in unmarked, stuff like that. You definitely do have to have a higher a higher amount of discipline and also be more aware. And I'm not knocking the patrol guys. I just think like. I think cops as a whole really have to be aware because there's just so many factors out there. I mean, I would listen to certain calls like I could tell calls what they were like. I I don't know. I just I think I just got good at it. Like like there was one time I just had to test my theory that I was like there was a it it came over like it came over like a a bag somewhere or some shit. And I'm like, yeah, that's an IAB call. One hundred percent. I was like, IB made that call. Like, there's no way someone's gonna say, "Oh, they saw a bag here in Tottenville." There's no terrorist attack. It's not see something or say something. It's not downtown, midtown Manhattan. Doesn't make any sense. Doesn't make any sense. Can't like, why would someone just call nine one one about a bag in the middle of nowhere at a closed store? It's an IB job, and hundred percent. I was I was dead on. You know, that that's a, an integrity test. Um. And not to say that, like, whatever, you know, cops should get tested, but I'm just saying like calls or 911 calls, you have all of these factors. What's real, what's not real, and where should I be focusing my energy? I'm for especially if you're doing anti-crime public safety, more often than none, you're chasing a pattern, right? So if you respond to this nonsense you you didn't complete your mission that day or maybe you got made and you're not going to make your mission that day or you or you know people are going to see you for what you are you know so i mean you have to be really like you should you know it's it's you know i, I it really is the state of hypervigilance needed to be a cop it's it's unbelievable it really is
0: uh, i i agree with you actually you know there came be time in my career i think you know you build that that ear for the radio we always say as a cop you have an ear for the radio and you John, you know it. A radio, uh, you got you hear a radio transmission, you're in the car. And somehow, I don't know it, and you know what I'm talking about. Somehow, you go, that's legit. Or you listen to the radio, you know what? That's bullshit. That's a fake call, or you know, or it's just complete nonsense. Someone's calling 911 and saying there's a gun involved just to get the cops there. So that's how good you get, you know, for the public that's out there if you didn't do police work. You start to get an ear for the radio. When they say that, that means that you just by hearing little things on the radio and the way the 911 dispatchers provide the information and the information that's actually the context that's in that that call, we would call it a job. you get got to understand if it's legitimate. The cops that are watching this, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You you know, you could be sitting there, it could be a slow night, you have the radio really low and all of a sudden you hear that and you go, we got to go. That's legit. And, And that's an art. You know, over time you build that. No one has it in the beginning, but you build that uh, over time and you your your mind and your heart connect with that radio and you just have a good understanding, it just clicks right away. But it takes a huge amount of discipline. You're absolutely right with that counter surveillance. And, and I definitely think that, you know, going back when we talked to CCRBs, I think CCRB ultimately is a tool to deteriorate from the police. It's a tool for the perps to continue to do what they're doing, but it's also a tool a tool for the CCRB to strip away for the police. Because it's all about this abolished to the police because ultimately, like I said, if that's a number of 5,000, if all 5,000 were just horrendous, I, I still think the numbers the numbers, don't correlate to how great the police department is doing. And I hate saying that because, you know, then Cas Daughtry and these other weak upper management, you know, want to take credit for it. But that's not the case. It's because there's no matter what, there's brave men and women that want to do this job, bad leadership and old leadership just unfortunate that the band leadership doesn't support that, but they're out there doing the job.
1: Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That's why I laugh when they're like, Oh, you're attacking the men and women. Like, no, I'm not. (laughs) No, Eric isn't. We're not attacking the men and women of the police department. Absolutely not. If anything, we're the biggest supporters of the men and women in the police department. We talk about the psychology, the mentality, the trials and tribulations they face. You choose to put the blinders on and say, yes, boss, you're doing a great job. And everything you told me is going to work. Right. Like that's, the difference of this podcast and just because this administration is a net does not mean that it, it will have a trickle down effect in years to come. But as of right now, there are great cops out there. There are great men and women doing police work, because if there wasn't New York City would be an abandoned hellhole right it's a miracle every day that with all the pressure they're on there there's not so much more horrible things that are happening all of the things that are put in place that are working against them their own management working against them their unions working against them the mayor of the city of New York the media everyone working against them and yet I could go to Manhattan today. Everyone's like, oh, I don't go to Manhattan. It's crazy. I'm like, it's really not that bad, dude. Like, just be smart. If you're older, if you're a woman, don't be by yourself. You know, don't hang out late at night or super early in the morning. Just be smart. I mean, New York was always a pretty dangerous place. Unfortunately, it got very safe at one time. And people got used to that and thought, hey, this is New York City. This is great. I'm from Ohio. We don't even need cops here. like oh really you don't need cops all right yeah okay all right good 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 with that go with your open toe sandals walk down the block and see and with your, your girl arms and you know and see and see how far you get if it wasn't for the cops in new york city so i i still i you know i it's never you know they're doing a great job they're doing a great job with everything that's working against them and unfortunately the administration is working directly against them
0: you know i want to prove also right because we both have the knowledge we do wrapped into an anti-crime but i want to prove that the civilian complaints are a byproduct of good policing of intrusive police work so john rhetorically speaking let's say you're sitting on a panel and you're and you're you're the chief of the detective bureau you're sitting on the panel you're actually sitting there for interviews and you need detectives in your squad. And you have a cop. You have a cop. You're looking at his resume. Right? Well, his uh, his jacket. The cop comes in with his suit on. He's got 10 years on the job. 200 some odd arrests. He's been in, in anti-crime. In two different prisons. He's also been in narcotics. And now. He wants to go to the detective squad. He's got all these arrests. He's in two separate anti-crime units. And he has zero civilian complaints. What comes to mind? What do you think? Let's be honest. He's got 200-some-odd arrests in two separate anti-crime teams and narcotics and has zero complaints. What are you thinking?
1: Like, again, it doesn't really matter whether he has none or he has 50. It matters what they are. It matters where he works, and it matters what arrests were being made, right? Now, if you're telling me the guy's an anti-crime, I don't believe that he's doing, getting arrests off the radio. I'm going to assume that they're pickup arrests. So I'm not going to knock the guy because he doesn't have any complaints, and I'm not going to kill the guy because he does. Because let's face it, another thing that nobody talks about is when you work in a predominantly minority neighborhood, CCRBs are more relevant there. They're more prevalent. CCRB actually goes out into those communities, sets up booths. Here's how you file a complaint against cops. They're going to schools. They're going in high schools and saying, this is how you file a complaint against the police. That's not going on. in in neighborhoods that they consider white neighborhoods or rich neighborhoods. Like that's not going on in other parts of the city. That's not going on in the one, two, three precinct. But when I go there, it's so, again, it's part of the culture. Same thing that's not happening. You know what else isn't happening in the one, two, three precinct? I'm not getting a lot of fake 911 calls. I'm not. Different culture, right? Different cultures, different things. When there's more of a criminal element in a precinct they will work actively against the police department. So whether the guy has complaints or he doesn't, what matters is what kind of arrests he made. Were they pick up arrests? Because if they're pick up arrests, I'm going to say that's a kid that proactively police. It's not someone that just sits there and gets this thing. He has 200 collars. They're all proactive. Now, same guy, 200 calls, proactive. He has 10 CCRBs. All right. What are the CCRBs? Oh, he arrested this guy who filed... 30 CCRBs and has a, has a nice number. That's this big. It's like, okay. Oh, what force? Okay. Yeah. No, that check. that doesn't matter. This doesn't matter. Maybe the guy messed up one or two times, cursed word, this, that those are non-issues for me We're human the guy. You're in, you know, the thing I would look at is those are radio runs. Oh, those are all radio runs. Oh, this, this, this store owner said, you told him to go fuck himself. Oh, this, this, uh, this old lady you pulled over because you were doing traffic for, for two years and you you reamed her out and she, you know, whatever, or like, or you were on a job and you got in this. Those are the things I would say, all right, you're not mature enough to be on it. I wouldn't, I, I wouldn't, I, I wouldn't weigh the complaints, the number of anything on anything. The number matters none to me. It matters what they are.
0: I, I agree. I agree to a point in the sense that, if I was on an interview panel and I, I was chief, it would, it would raise – let me just go back and say this. It would raise a red flag to me. It would immediately – it would be questionable if I saw someone with 10 years on the job and they had served in two different anti-crime units and narcotics and busy commands. Again, I wouldn't, I wouldn't deflect and say, oh, well, I don't want this person. How could they have no complaints? But it would it would raise a red flag that I would ask some questions because just on the surface, without asking questions, the questions that go through my mind are how integral was this person part of the teams? How how did they play a role part of these teams? Were they never a point of contact? Did they not engage the public as much? Were they more of a, in a supportive role on these teams? Or is it possible? That we do have someone that got on one of these teams by the act of nepotism, have like we seen before, or you know, was friendly with someone and didn't belong on this team, and the other team members will carry this person. So I'm not saying that it is uh, an immediate, but it does raise questions. And the reason why I say that is because getting complaints is expected; to byproduct of doing intrusive police work. It. it could be someone that just extremely had a silver tongue, just got very lucky. And not getting complaints, but I would find it odd that they didn't. If you had to get enough, would you be able to say, the guy in that position, you're on the panel, what would you expect? Uh, if you had a number in your head, say, you know what, this is, I'm going to open his, I got his paperwork, I'm going to look at his jacket. What number would you expect to see? Just, just without even asking any questions.
1: Number of what? Arrest or CCRVs? Six Again, I I don't weigh numbers like that. I don't. I weigh – in arrests. I do in arrests. I can tell if you're if you're actively avoiding doing your job or not. But like I'm not looking at. And I I think again. I, I I knock the progressives all the time because they talk about the number of of uh, minorities that are stopped. Right, and I'm like that number doesn't tell you anything. That number is nonsense. It's like, what, what were they stopped for? Who was it that stopped it? Who stopped them? So I wouldn't weigh it heavily at all. And just to, and just to back up with you, now I'm going to say another thing that's not going to that's not going to go over well with the the majority of the upper echelon in the NYPD. That guy that you talked about, right? He had zero CCRBs, and maybe he isn't the team lead. He's just on the team, and he takes calls. Right? The other guys feeding him boom 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 he just takes calls I'll take that and that kid in the squad every day over an 18 month rookie that his daddy or his girl was somebody I because you know what that kid still did his job maybe he's not the team lead you know uh, but we don't see that in detective squads we don't see that the kid that's out there policing you actually see the exact opposite Eric what you're talking about is a pretend interview because you actually see the exact opposite if the guy has no ccrBs He's going. If the guy has five, he's got to answer for all five of those. And, and and uh, yeah, kid, you know what? We just got to wait for this one CCRB. Yeah, you know, they, we like you. We could tell you're a sharp kid. You're a good kid. Just get 200 more collars and you'll be good. Just don't get any more CCRBs, all right? Oh, and don't ever go sick, by the way. It's like, yeah, but you just took that girl, that really pretty girl. You just took her, and she has four collars, and she's been out sick seven times. And she's terrible. I've been on jobs with her and she's completely awful, you know? And, and no, 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 no. Yeah. Just do what you got to do. Kid. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so like it's real fantasy land. Like really, like what we're talking about here is like, if you're an anti-crime and you're making calls, you're the guy that should be, let the squad. <laughs> you know, I, and, I'm know? Not, and, and of course yeah. there's people that are better. And there's people that, that are going to be, you know, that are going to be more apt to lead and people that are going to be more apt to make the knowledge. But they sitting down with someone and actually going through their day with them. Tell me what you do. Tell me how you do. What patterns you evolved about. Tell me about your arrests, right? All of these things, you know, people are scared to go to interviews. And I'm like, what are you scared of? Don't be scared to go to an interview. You should know your stuff cold, bro. Like you should know your arrest cold. You should know what patterns are happening in your precinct cold. You should know all the perps in your precinct. There's nothing they could get you on. You're the expert there. They don't know this. They don't know half the things you should know when they're going to ask you questions. You know what I mean? You go to an interview, these guys are going to be like, all right, let's stop asking questions because he obviously knows more than we do. You know, like, <laughs> and and that's how it should be. You know what I mean? And you can tell right away just by speaking to someone they're, if they're into it or they're not. I'm not going to hold someone because they have no CCRBs. And I'm not going to hold someone because they have a million CCRBs. If they have a million CCRBs and it's always the same thing, that's a problem. <laughs> that's a that's a problem.
0: First of all, I want to say this, must, this might sound completely biased, but this interaction that we just had, so organic, is why I love this podcast. And what I want the public to know is that John and I don't prepare for what we're going to say. We talk about, hey, this is the topic we're going to speak about. Maybe these are some of the the criteria, the sequence of events, but we don't prepare what we're going to say. This is an organic question that I asked John when it came to the interviews, and you answered exactly how I wanted You played right into my hand. You answered it perfectly because that's exactly what I expect. There is no difference between the cop that goes for the interview that has 10 CCRBs or the one that has zero because and this is why I question some of the up echelon is do they really know what they're doing? Because John, you were a team leader and so was I. And when you run a team, everyone has a role. And if you expect everyone to have the same attributes and to do the job the same way on the team, it's absolutely ridiculous. And you wouldn't even form a well, a well-balanced team. That's why I felt my teams were so effective is because We selected, and I personally handpicked and selected the members of the teams through interviews, and there were plenty of people that I didn't know, and I interviewed them. There was no nepotism involved. I interviewed them, and I liked things that they said, and I found, I said, what could this person bring to the table on this team? I would treat my teams like a basketball team, right? If you're watching the Bulls, Michael Jordan and Scottie Pippen, those were your superstars, and the other guys played supportive roles. And that's how your team should be also. If my team, if two of my cops on, on an anti-crime team were Michael Jordan and Scotty Pippen, well, I would expect them to have 10 CCRBs apiece. But the other guys that may be a supportive role, that doesn't make them any less of anti-crime cops. But I may have one guy that's just amazing when it comes to the computer. He gets all the social media information. He gets information on all the perpetrators. He's got a wizard of a mind. He remembers everything. That's his role and very important for the team. I might have another guy that, you know what, he has the eye, he watches, observes everything, he has the patience for it. I might have another guy who's the point of contact. So everyone has a role. So, John, it might be you. You come in, you have 10 years on the job, you have all these arrests, you are an anti-crime in two different precincts, and narcotics and you happen to be a great cop, but the role that you played on that team did not put you in a position to get all these CCRBs. That's why I said it would raise a flag. I would ask questions, but then once I find out what role they played on that team, it would bring an understanding, and then I know what I have. And, and thank you for, for saying that, because it's so important. It's not about the number. It's what did they get? If they had three in one month, Or telling some lady to go fuck herself, excuse my language. Well, you know what? That's a problem. That's a pattern. You know, so I I think you answered brutally. I just want to say that. Absolutely perfect.
1: Yeah. I mean, I I just, you know, and I, I think like that's the same thing that we're conversation we're having here is the same thing that the public should understand. Doesn't numbers don't equate anything. Arrests do though. Arrest too. that's the one number I'm gonna say. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Like I see and and like you know, you get these rookies, they got nine, seven, oh tax numbers and they had four collars and they're in the detail. That's a big problem. That's a big problem for me. I don't care about you, like, you know, like there were guys I could think of now, and there were guys like that I wanted to get on my teams, and I always had the luxury of being able to hand pick people on my team. I always had that luxury. And I got forced like one or two guys and I spoke out about it. I was like, this guy is not good or this girl's no good, you know? Um, so, but I got, I did get forced, but, you know, I would go and then the newer guys, you would see right away, the newer guys and girls, you would see right away who's a proactive cop. You would see right away they're on patrol. They're going to every job. They're, they're you know, they're making collars. They're making pickup arrests in uniform, in the car, on their way to a job. You know, you see those guys and I would mentor those guys. Like, listen, you guys are doing great work. Keep going. You know, when stuff opens up, I want to get you guys in. You guys should be in special operations. You guys should move around, you know. But unfortunately, what we're seeing is those guys are losing the motivation because they're not moving ahead. They're not moving ahead. And who's moving ahead? Oh, my daddy was this. My cousin was this. I know this guy. I changed Kaz's tire. Like ridiculous things. People are getting to details and then moving up in the ranks and we're losing. And what do you do? You kill the incentive. You kill the incentive to work hard. I have no problem with nepotism. I think nepotism, when you're in leadership, you're going to want people around you that are competent, that you trust, right? And, 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 And could that be considered nepotism? Could it be considered nepotism? That I worked with this kid, and this kid was my driver, and I know he's sharp, and I know he's good, and he we work well together, and I know he'll do great in this job. Yes, it could be. That is that is technically nepotism, but do is that every appointment that you make? Is that every person that gets promoted? Is that every – people need a pathway to success, and what we're seeing in the police department is if you're a civilian – there's numerous pathways for success. If you're a mo- uniform member of service, there's only one way to do it. Go kiss the squad's ass or go kiss Shaylon Kaz's ass. Those are the only two ways. Because if you're not doing that, I don't care what color skin you are, you're not gonna have
0: it. I think that's a great correlation. I think is we could arguably say now and analyze this that there's different forms of nepotism, right? So if you're in a position, you're 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 the former commissioner, let's just say. And your son gets on the job and he has 18 months including the academy, which means he has zero experience, and he goes to the detective squad. Well, that's a style of nepotism based on a deity. But, if, John, you're, you know, rhetorically speaking, you're the commanding officer of a precinct. And you have someone who's an anti-crime. Let's just use a f- uh, rhetorical fake name, John Smith. And you get to know John Smith is a great worker. He are, he does great at court. He's always at work. You can rely on him. He's got great experience. He's making collars. and You take this person under your wing and now you go to another command. You say, you know what, John Smith, come work for me. I'm going to put you on this anti-crime team here and you'll go to the Tender Squad. Is that a form of nepotism? Yes, but it's nepotism exactly by what you're saying, by confidence in confidence in this person. So I think it's a different form of nepotism.
1: Uh, you got anything else on the CCRB? There was a lot of stuff I want to talk about on this podcast, but I think we we stayed on the, the CCRBs, and I'm glad we did. Um, you know, I'm glad we did. I think we should. I don't think we should go on all the other topics. Maybe we'll we'll save those for another podcast because it's a lot. Um, is there anything else in particular you want to bring up on this podcast? Is there anything else about CCRB or any other topic? And then we could revolve around. Uh, the topics. I mean, for me, I definitely want to get into, and I don't know if you do, or we could do another one. I, I think we should talk about the 101
0: CL. Absolutely. I was, I, I, you read my mind, brother. Well, so let, let's talk about it, right? So we know right now there was a rumor spread about an interaction Kaz Daughtry had with the commanding officer of the 101 precinct. Now, before we get into it, I just want to say this. We did not spread the rumor. The rumor was spread within the department and made its way to different social media outlets, including this podcast. Now, what's interesting about that is this is not the first rumor. And that's what I think is also problematic, is that there have been several rumors that Kaz Daughtry has been the center of and the focus of that have not been in a good light, that have been negative. And let's be honest most rumors are negative usually there's not a rumor like oh i heard john is just doing great he's amazing usually rumors are something of the bad light, right so yeah and we've heard a rumor that kaz dorchi was involved in, in a car stop that didn't go well we heard a rumor that uh people didn't call attention we heard a rumor that people have uh are not allowed to watch this podcast and like it because you can get destroyed in your career so let's
1: what do you think about that And with this room. So this administration by far, in my opinion, is the most thin skinned administration I've ever seen, completely made up of egotistical narcissists. And I'm not saying that based out of, out of anything I'm I'm, I'm, I'm out of, out of the air or my opinion, I'm going to go back. Myself and Eric invited John shell on this podcast. And immediately when we did so, there was a captain two lieutenants, an agency attorney, numerous cops and detective under that lead that came exactly at that time onto that post, discrediting us, challenging us to fight, making up lies, slandering us. Now, if if it would have been a trickle effect, one guy comes on here, two guys, maybe even three guys, I would say, you know what? It's just a basic criticism. I mean, me and Eric get beat up I think 35 to 40 times a day, you know, but what stood out to me there is I'm like, wow, they were actually sent to do this as part of their job while they're working, you know, running our names and computers. And I'm like, why would cops do that? Like, we're not bashing the NYPD. We're 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 not even bashing the leadership. We're just giving our opinion on the progressive policy and legislation and their inept reaction to it and they're almost like a a flag waving for it like yeah this is great this is great you know and like we're we're not talking about the men and women of the police department so I found it very curious that all of these guys like I like I think it was like 10 or 12 at once come onto these posts and stay on them while at the same time we have the then assistant commissioner Kaz Daughtry talking about me and Eric at an awards ceremony and I was like wow, I was like, that is terrible PR skills. That is just like, because to me, I've heard rumors about myself. I hear rumors about myself every day. I hear things that people say about me every day. I don't care. I'm not i am not confronting you over it. I don't care. If you see me and I have a big smile on my face, you know why? <laughs> because I know something. I know that you, whatever you said about me, but I don't care. I don't take, I don't, I don't take these things to the light, but it, it, shows the level of maturity that that they have and and it's really sad man and and i you know i i i don't i don't like that is just one thing you're going after your critics because you can't handle it but then what they're doing to their own department and saying we're attacking the department i mean it's insane man it's crazy what's going on i mean people are getting transferred over salutes Or you didn't like someone, or you didn't like his attitude. Or are you talking about bad about this administration? Because I've heard a lot of things that I didn't put out and I know they're true. And I don't put them out for a reason because I know you'll target, you'll figure out, and you'll do an entire investigation to figure out who gave that information away and go after those people. But I heard specifically things that the police commissioner along with Kaz Daughtry, are running around confronting people about things they said in group text or this, that, the other thing about you have a problem with this administration. You're the boss. Everybody's (laughs) always going to have a problem with you. What are you, out of your mind?
0: I heard heard that rumor, too. It's absolutely ridiculous. I mean, you have to expect... I mean, John, you and I both know when we were at at a frontline leadership, sergeants, lieutenants, You, even though... We were very well liked. We had great relationships. I had amazing relationships with my special operations guys. Even then, I knew that they were going to bad mouth me on certain things. I knew I, I used to joke around after a meme, like, all right, guys, I'm gonna walk out now so you guys can talk about me. Yeah. So what? And you know what? They're probably you know mother effing me in the back, but so what? It's part of the job, and that's where he misses the mark, as Daughtry, especially the, the rest of the upper echelon this weak appointed management that's in power right now, but especially Kaz Dortry because his, his promotion, his, his escalation through the ranks just proves that you gain a certain level of maturity and experience as you go through the ranks with that maturity becomes a certain amount of, of callousness that you build for, for scuttlebutt, for rumors, for people talking about you, where you develop the ability to just let it roll off your shoulders. I do believe that's an art. And it's ironic, right? Because there was an article uh, about Kazdorsky rising to the ranks and, and how it's, you know, how I think he quoted that, you know, he he tells himself to remain humble, something like that. But I think mean, that's completely, op- right? Did you see that? I think that's completely opposite from what we're seeing here. I mean, yes, listen, are there rumors? Yeah, rumors happen, absolutely. But when there's rumor, after rumor after rumor i think it's time to say there might be some truth to it
1: forget the rumor i mean people are getting transferred the 101 co is the 103 xo now you know people are getting transferred you know and people sent us all this stuff i just don't put it out there as if it's fact you know i just don't put things out there as if it's fact because i really don't know and i don't want to put out anything that shouldn't be out there you know but there's been numerous other people that have been, there's numerous other lieutenants that have been transferred over nonsensical thin skin things. There's numerous people that have been transferred that are afraid to come forward. People are afraid to come forward. They're walking around on eggshells and it's absolutely ridiculous. And like you said, people used to tell me things all the time. Oh, this guy said this about you. This girl said this. I was like, okay. And now, and in my head, I would be like, why are you telling me this? Like, why is that my big, like, you know, in my I would just take it with a grain of salt. Sometimes I would mess with the person later on, but I wouldn't even if it bothered me. Like if it really bothered me, I probably wouldn't address it. I'd be like whatever because it like it was a blow to my ego. But if it was something that was funny or they were just making fun of me, I would probably like address it later as a joke. It wouldn't be anything. I'd be like, "Oh, I heard whatever." You know, I heard that I do this or I suck, you know, like, as, and, but I would leave it at that. And it was never in a vicious light. You know, I, I talk smack about every boss I ever had. And, and I could tell you right now, I don't have one bad thing looking back to say about any of my bosses, but like in, in, in while we're together, while we're working together, we're together all the time, you know, there's a million mm-hmm people annoy you the most the closer you are to them the more you see them little things people do annoy you i talk smack about every boss i ever had it was never vicious you know and like i i I look back at that and i'm like i and why wouldn't i expect other people to do that with me and and like these people the police commissioner shell kaz they do it too but yet you expect it not to be done to you it's the most, it's the, it's the craziest thing. It's like, it's the level of maturity is so low. It's, it's, and it's scary, man. Cause it's really affecting people. And the other thing that I noticed by the way is who's getting transferred. Who's getting transferred. They all have one. They have two things in common. They're male and they're white. Pale
0: faces, pale faces, you know, we see seen time and time again who's getting attacked the alpha white male. It's, it's absolutely ridiculous. But like I said, rumor after rumor, eventually you have to say there's some truth to it. And, and you know, it's ironic, like, like I said, going back to it, that in the, you know, I think it was the Post where he's quoted for saying that he has to tell himself to remain humble. And it, there's, there's no sign of humility in this administration, especially with Kaz Daughtry. And you can see it in his tweets and uh, and you see it in his speech where he spoke about two retired lieutenants out of state talking about their crime plan. If you were humble in this position, you know, then you would let anybody say anything and just say, you know what? All right. I, maybe there's some truth to what they're saying. Maybe I can look at what they're saying. Maybe they're right. Or maybe someone is is wrong, or they don't like the fact that I got promoted. And I, I should understand that because there's a lot of people that have been slighted and disregarded their careers who worked hard, and I'm lucky and fortunate to be in this position. That's true humility. We're not seeing that. But what's even, I, I think, what's even far, far worse than his hand actually taking this action because we should we should kind of expect this action and these and these movements that he's doing because he doesn't have the experience right so we should expect that. I, we, don't. We, but, I don't but i don't what i'm saying is and the reason why i say that is because i blame john shell jeffrey madry Ed caban where are they to put him in his place and say or tiny consilla no this is not how you conduct business you're dead wrong here. You've been elevated. You didn't go through the ranks. You don't understand what it is to be a boss. Let me teach you. But they're not doing it. That's why I say we can expect it because there's no one checking him. How do you expect? We all, you know, most of us have kids. How do you expect your kids to behave properly if nobody ever checks them? If you just let them, you know, your kids, your the job of your kids is to test things, to see how much far they can push the waters. And maybe he's doing the same thing. He's pushing to see how far he can go now that he's got this position of authority and no one's checking him. So he must be like, hey, I guess I'm doing it right. No one's telling him, no kid, this is wrong.
1: Well, I think someone's telling him to do it. But that's the other thing. That's my opinion on it. I think someone's telling him to do it and they gave him free room to do it. I agree with you 100%. You know, I expect people to make mistakes. I, you know, he, listen, he got elevated to position. We said it's nepotism. So what? And like I said, if it was my driver that I trust and I felt that he would be the best person for the job, I would elevate them too. Right. I think you're the most competent. I think this is the best move for the department. I'm in the position to lead. And I think you're the guy I would do it too. But everyone's going to make mistakes. Right. But obviously it's not a mistake because it's not being addressed. Obviously it's not a mistake. This is what's happening, you know, and, and the same thing in the same level, I've been on scenes where I show up and I'm like, what the hell is going on? And the captain's there. And I'm like, what the hell is going on? And I'm sure vice versa. And I'm sure vice versa. People have been on scenes that I was running and going, what the hell is going on here? Because you're in the heat of the moment. There's a million factors. You don't see anything. And I've seen captains get reamed out. But you know how they were reamed out? The inspector of the chief showed up. Captain, come here. Or to me, sergeant, come here right? Pull me off to the side. What the f- What is going on over here? Do this, do that, do this, do that, do that. Boom. Nobody's telling me my career is over. Maybe my career is over. Maybe I am getting transferred. But nobody's telling me that at that moment in time, in the heat of the moment, nothing's happening like that. And my rank as a boss, even as low as a sergeant, isn't going to, isn't going to, I'm not going to, I'm not going to look like a child. I'm not going to get screened out like a child and told my career's over, but they're, they're going to come there and the professional. You're coming out there. Your emotion's not involved in it. You see the big picture that this person's not seeing. Listen, set up the barricades here, whatever it may be, block off this. Why is that portion of the block not cut off? cut all this, this, all oh, this all should have been cut off, right? Like we need to secure this entire crime scene. You only secured half of it. Like I'm not saying not that things aren't going to be nasty in the heat of the moment, because they will, right? Because your adrenaline's going, but the maturity on how to address things that are wrong. Right. Cause go talk to your cops like that as a sergeant. You're not going to make it long as a sergeant. And I'll tell you right now, you guys, you're going to be doing a lot more because they're not going to, they're going to, they're going to mess up every scene they can. And the things that you don't see coming when you mess up, nobody's helping you.
0: It, it is not it funny that you're talking about those, the emasculated, weak appointed management is the one, they're emasculating other people in the department. It's, it's really sad. You know, it's funny, you know, it's funny you, you talk about that because I, I used to work with this, uh, I used to work with this fellow lieutenant and a buddy of mine, he, he was a, a former Marine also, and he was just part of marine culture. Like, we would always laugh. Like, you know, if if I got reamed out for something, like he would be laughing at me. You know, if he got reamed out, I, I would laugh at him. Like, what happens? To that that's that brings level of Humility. Like, humility. like sometimes you get reamed out. Like you said, it's a private, but other people would know, and then we would laugh about it. You know, my thing. I used to say, like, you know what? I just got one SG chewed, and I got one left. You know, I, I would laugh about it. Yeah. But we really lost that. And and because I knew that the person that was putting me in my place wouldn't hold the grudge and they would let it go. But obviously what's happening now is they're holding grudges. And they, I mean, they're, they're taking this to the extreme rather than just have a conversation. Hey, listen, you know, I, I expect this from you or that. What they're really holding grudges, and hurting people's careers that are based on their egos and emotions, not based on, you know, on the things that actually affect the police department.
1: Yeah, I, it's 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 crazy, man. Like the, the ego has just got and I, I listen, I get the heat of the moment. I do. I get the heat of the moment. But to really destroy people and lose their career right at that moment in time where it's so obvious to everybody and all of these things are coming out. It's not, you know, again, there's a pattern, right? It's not it's it. There's a pattern, you know, and and those those things are showing through, you know, I mean, the humility that you should have in the police department. I believe that a cop could be elevated to his rank and be humble and understand those lessons is there going to be lessons that he's going to learn because he missed valuable lessons as having to supervise people deal with the the personnel issues stuff like that absolutely but again just the same way we learned it as sergeants he could learn it now as a deputy commissioner but there's no learning from here right we're not falling down and getting better and picking ourselves up, we're falling down and we're keeping going down. And like, it, it's having a big impact on morale and you're leading through fear. You're not leading through respect. You know, I got reamed out one time by a captain XO, Captain Finn, I think he's still on the job. He's got like 35 years on, uh, military guy, great guy. Calls me out, I walk in, calls me out into the lobby. It's just the sergeant's there and the TS operator. So nobody else is there, he brings me out in the lobby. Reams me out about some job that I wasn't on. He mumbles, so you don't really know what he's talking about. But he reams me out about a job that happened the night prior that I wasn't even at work. And I just sat there and I took it and I was like, all right, boss, no problem. I'll take care of it. You know, and that was it. He reamed me out, he left. I walked back in. The sergeant at the desk goes, What was that about? I was like, I have no idea. I wasn't even at the job. I wasn't even here yesterday. You know? <laughs> and he started cracking up and we cracked up and I left. I wasn't like, Oh, yeah, i could going finish this. Finish that you know like have some humility and he did it right he didn't sit there and read me out in front of even the other sergeant he didn't read me out even it was two of the same right he pulled me to the side read me out i mean i didn't do what I, I don't even know what the hell he was talking about till today but he was talking about a job that happened the night prior that i wasn't on but he thought it was me for some reason <laughs> that i handled it and he wanted it handled differently and i was like okay you know no problem And but he did it in private. And was he was he like a little like you know, he's a military guy, but it wasn't, you know, and even after that, it was like a pat on the shoulder and see you later, you know. And and the next day at work, there's no grudge, there's no nothing. He was mad at me about whatever he thought I did, and he 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 addressed it to me in private, and we moved on the next day. It was nothing, you know.
0: I I know the mindset and the and the uh and the ideology that you, you and I both have. And I know, at least for me, I, I think I, I would think that you would agree with me. But I, I would say for me, humility is so important. And I, I, I believe, that, like you said, if you were a cop and you got elevated to a high position, if you operate and act as the underdog, I think everybody will always root for you. I think everybody always roots for the underdog. You see two boxers and one guy is the underdog. It's truly humble. Everybody wants that guy to win. Even if he's not, even if he's terrible, everybody roots for the underdog, and I guarantee you, I—I'm I, gonna guess. I know for me, I think for you too. If Kaz was that humble and he acted as the underdog, if he made a thousand mistakes, we would be rooted from like we want that guy to succeed. You know what? He's trying. He's so humble. He takes responsibility for his mistakes. We would have completely different criticism from this podcast.
1: Yeah. I mean, listen, I think we would still criticize. I mean, still normal criticism. I don't, you know, like, again, I don't hate any of these guys. I don't. They could come to my house right now. We could have coffee. We're going to talk about why their teams are threatening me, why there's an act of cops sending threats against me and your family, why a known criminal has got my name, where that we'll talk about those things, but we could do it as gentlemen. None of this is done out of hate. You know, none of this podcast is done. Oh, Eric doesn't want to get back at the police department. I'm not trying to get back at the police department. I'm not trying to get Eric Adams unelected. I don't believe he should be the mayor. I don't think he's doing a great job. And these are the reasons why. Right. That's my opinion. It's not. It's not like I. It's not done out of hate. I don't sit there and wake up in the morning. Oh, you am gonna get Eric Adams. Oh, yeah, I'm gonna get Caban. No, it's like we. I talk about things that are in the news. Eric talks about things that are in the news. We talk about things that people send us articles, things of that nature. Whatever, whatever is going on in law enforcement, in the NYPD, in politics, in legislation, in the nation, in mental health, in physical fitness, books. We talk about a million different things on this podcast, and you know. Part of that is always going to be criticism. Even if some, I, Eric, if you left today and you were the police commissioner, there's going to be things I'm going to say that you're not going to like. You're like that mother. Oh. Yeah. Uh,
0: look, listen, you do it right now. I, we yeah, do a podcast. What?
1: How many times you, <laughs>
0: can... you criticize me? I don't care. How many times? Listen, I'll tell the public right now. John and I will discuss something like, hey, you know, like, no, I don't like that. Like, all right. I don't care, nah, yeah. no, dude. That wasn't good. We say it to each other. That's yeah. normal. I don't care. I don't lose sleep, it We laugh about it. Like oh, yeah, I was that. Was, or sometimes I even uh, I'll, I'll come up with an idea. I'm like, you know what? Yeah, you're right. That was stupid. <laughs> it's normal. And I think I think that's just a certain level of grit you need to have to accept criticism. I. I, I but what does that say about a person when they? What do you think? Like, what does that say about someone? If they can't accept criticism, what, what do you think about that? That it says a lot to me.
1: I mean, I, I just don't think he's a humble person. I don't think he's humble. I think he has no humility and I think he's very immature and I think his ego is out of control. And I think it's always been because, again, like I said, I don't care what title you give the kid. That article that Tina Moore wrote is an accurate article. He was the real police commissioner. I, again, we've seen it. He He was elevated. And instantly, the captain, the two lieutenants, and everyone that he worked with bowed down to him as he was leader. So that leads me to believe he he was never, never looked at as a subordinate. He was always looked at as higher ranking and higher level. And they could not supervise him. And I'm glad that I never had to supervise him because I'm sure my career would have ended much quicker than it had. I'm sure I wouldn't have made it 18. I would have probably only made it 12 or 13. You know, because I I, like there's no way I would have wanted someone on my team that I have absolutely zero control over who thinks they're the boss and running around egotistically and telling everyone what they're going to do. You know, I've spoken to many executives that have received calls from him when he was a detective and he's ordering them to do things. Some of them had balls and some of them didn't, you know. And and you know, I just I think that like he's just not a humble person. And that's my my knock on him. And and to send and to, to to put your guys up to come after two retired guys on a podcast, it's like it just shows how immature you are, dude. Because oh, what'd you do in that, what'd you do in that light? You just took our balloon that was rising. It was rising and growing anyway, and you just made it bigger, dude. Like, so I should we should thank you for it, but At the same time, I mean, I feel bad about it. And I don't think, you know, like I said, I I take those threats personal. I take everything personal, but there's no hate in my heart. And I can say the same thing for Eric. There's no hate in his heart against you either. We're not, we're not, we don't want to see you fail. We we prefer you do much better. I agree. Absolutely.
0: There's no hate on my behalf. I know there's no hate in your behalf. We're not looking to seek vengeance. But I do like to speak the truth, and I do. I do think criticism is important, and I think that what I mean by how we criticize, I think their reaction is very important. If he reacted in a very humble manner, I'd be like, "Listen, I would still say Kaz Daughtry is immature, lacks certain qualities and traits that you learn along the way to be in this position." But now that he's in this position, he's taking responsibility for his his mistakes. Hopefully, he can, you know, he could make it. Uh, But ultimately, in the end, yes. We are rooting for him because unfortunately the cops don't have a choice on who leads them. He's been put in this position by Mayor Eric Adams. And ultimately he's going to be their police commissioner. So in order for them to have a good career and a good life and public safety, we have to root for him. But unfortunately, he's proving he's proving what we're saying right. Right? He's legitimizing everything that we've said, which is why it bothers him. It bothers him because he's not the guy to admit that, hey, you know what? What they're saying is right. Let me pick myself up and do something different. Instead, he's that guy he's not willing to say, hey, I need to be fixed. He's saying they're the problem, right? And isn't that what they say? Like, don't be the person that says you're the problem or I'm the problem. Just fix it. That's not what he's doing.
1: Yeah, it's The whole thing's just, it's, it really is. It's, it's pathetic. Honestly, it's, it's, it's pathetic. Like it really is. Like when I look at what transpired over the last few months, I still can't even believe it. I think it's surreal. I think most people feel that way. Um, I mean, again, even the memes, I don't think that they're done out of vengeance. I think that they're pretty funny. Um, but I do think that one that we did the, epi- the episode on nepotism and then we did a part two and we used the same meme with him sitting there as a throne. I said it about Eric Adams. I said if he was a king and we were in ancient times, I'm sure my head was going to be on the chopping block. Off with his head. Off with her head. Off with his head. And I get that same impression from Kaz Daughtry that if he could, he would be heading people in the police department because that's basically what's going on. You know, oh, this person talked about me in a group chat. Oh, whoop do you do? Oh, so why are you going to destroy their career? You're going to destroy their life because someone said something that you don't like or they don't like you or they said something they made fun of you or they sent one of our memes around. I mean, come on, bro. Grow up. I mean, this is locker room talk. It's always been, you know, and I've even, you know, I've even heard from some people that aren't too big fans of this podcast <laughs> that they think the memes are funny and they're about them. <laughs> you know and they you know and like i because it because it is at the end of the day it's just it's 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 just jokes it's just satire and these are just opinions you know and it shouldn't be and the same holds true for the men and women in the police department they're not out there in the public blasting you or trying to get you either they're venting let them vent i, I don't even know
0: how these guys were ever on teams or i know he was part of i guess part of the he, CRT was on that team team and and he was in charge because yeah. I, I remember like my guys would clown me. Like I said I I would always put together a, a supervisor's dinner every year and uh I'd always pick an expensive place and it'd be like a $125, or $150 a person for dinner. And so they would put up wanted pictures of, of me on the poster and saying I stole their money. I remember you know one time we were working so many hours we had a, so many arrests and I was sitting down and I'm, I'm signing stuff, and I literally just dozed off while I was signing on, on a couch, and they took a picture of me, and next thing you know, I have a big giant eggplant in my face, you know. and they, they're passing it around on, on, a, on a thread, texting each other on WhatsApp, w- w- making fun of me with all kinds of memes. I was laughing my ass off. I thought it was hysterical. I didn't get mad about it. It was the jest. It was fun. And if you laugh about it, They'll get, they'll forget about it too. But if you make it a big deal, then they're going to be, why is he so mad, you
1: know? Yeah, no, it's, uh, it, it, it it's, it's part of maturity. And like I said, I, I, I do think that the steps are big. I think that they're, they're, it's, it is important to learn those lessons, but I don't think it's the end all be all. I think those lessons could be learned. You know, I found it funny that when my rise through the ranks, like I'm like, all right, dude. You didn't really rise to the, the my rise through the police department, you know, because you didn't really rise through the ranks, you know. John Shell rose to the ranks, Mike Kemper rose to the rank, Madry rose to the rank, uh the Petri rose to all those guys rose to the rank. Even Captain, even uh, Eric Adams rose through the ranks. You did not rise through the ranks. Um, and and you know, that's just it's not, it just is what it is. It is. So what? Who cares? Who cares? You're you're blessed, you got put in that position, do good with it.
0: Yeah, well, that's why I, so I I hold him accountable. I hold him responsible for not being humble and for mistreating the members, just like in this particular rumor that we heard, and destroy morale. But ultimately, that's why I say I hold everyone else much more accountable than him because they put him in this position. You know, I, listen, if they if I was in the police department and I was a detective, and they're like, "Listen, you're going to be the assistant commissioner," I'm not going to say no.
1: Yeah,
0: like okay, I'm going to I'm going to be in a a high position, and you're going to give me a better salary, and I'm on my way to be police commissioner? I'm not going to say no, and neither should he. But I expect the people around me to guide me, to make sure I'm doing the job properly, and to actually, if they cared about me, to tell me what I was doing wrong. So there's either two things going on here. One, they're either cowards, and they don't tell him what's going on. Or the second option, which is what you said, he's being told to do what he's doing.
1: Well, I think it's a I would say it's a combination of both. One, he's got young guys around him, right? Very young guys that don't know their own, they don't even know who they are yet. So they can't really help him. They don't even know who they are on the job. They're very young on the job, right? So like those are the guys underneath him. And when you see him, you see him with like young, young guys, right? Um, so they idolize him, and I would think that you would, right? He he gives you all like you're getting all these perks of being a competent police officer very early on the job without even truly having to prove yourself just by being signed to a team. Well, are you proving yourself by holding your weight on that team? Yes, but your backstory isn't there. You didn't build that. So he has all those guys around him. The leadership that he has around him the sergeants and the lieutenants and the captains, they're weak, they're cowards. They're the guy you're sitting there with, you just had breakfast, and you're about to go up at a press conference and they don't tell you yo you got something in your teeth and you go out on that you go out on that press conference and you have a big uh, poppy seed in your teeth or something like that and you're like you got you go to the bathroom after and you're like oh my god what the hell my t- i look like I, i'm missing a tooth oh i didn't want to say i didn't want to tell you like you didn't tell me you know i and like personally i think you know as much hate as as this podcast receives or us as individuals um I would have us on speed dial, dude. Like, listen, this is what we're gonna do. What do you think about it? I'll give you my honest damn opinion. I'll tell you exactly what I think about it. You, The people you have around you won't. And that's where you're failing, you know? Like the people, the guys I always, the guys and the girls I always respected the most, whether they worked for me, whether I worked for them, whether we were on the same level, the guys I respected the most were the guys that would tell me what they thought. And I always appreciated that.
0: I totally agree with you. I I mean, I I think that, you know, that comes with tough love. I think that people that truly love you or really care about you will be brutally honest and brutally honest to the point that actually might actually hurt your feelings or upset you a little bit. Because I would want people to tell me, you know, if I made a stupid decision, but the people, you know, that I trust, I wouldn't say that they should say it out loud in front of people, but maybe pull me to the side, like, you know what? I understand you made that decision, but. It's, it's not really great. And let me tell you why. And I'll tell you what, I had plenty of guys, and the guys on my teams that, if they that watch this podcast, please, Kaz Daughtry, don't change your careers for watching this podcast. You know what? On second thought, I'll just say nobody watches this podcast. I don't want to get them in trouble.
1: Only three people. They're all retired. Yeah. So <laughs> if, if, if
0: you have an opportunity, if, if watch this podcast from All Cops and walks VPN because nobody can find them. But. If you're watching this podcast, you know who I'm talking about. There were plenty of guys on my teams who who I entrusted, you know, their decisions. They became very confident. But, you know, sometimes I would have in my head, like, all right, listen, I'm putting these two guys on this team. And they would come to me like, hey, you know what, boss? Uh, I know you said you're going to put those two guys. But what about those other two guys? You know, they, they – they kind of did a little more, and I'm like, yeah, yeah. you know, and it wasn't about, if I thought they would just do it because they didn't like them, I wouldn't listen. But I, w- I would say, okay, I appreciate that. And I would actually go and sit and look at the stuff. And sometimes I would go back and say, listen, you were totally wrong. Or sometimes I would go back and, you know what? Thank you. I appreciate it. I'm glad you, f- you fixed that. You brought that to my attention. That's where humility comes to place, where you have to understand that, even though you're the leader and you're the boss, that doesn't mean you're always the smartest man in the room or right. That makes you a, a better man if you're willing to use your resources. Maybe someone has a better decision than you do, and you use that decision. You utilize it. That's what a good leader does. You use the good resources and tools around you.
1: Yeah, and, and you know what? And There were plenty of times that like guys that worked for me told me things that I didn't agree with. Right. For whatever the reasoning was, they thought it should be handled a different way or my decision wasn't correct. And I thought they were being short sighted. And of course, I fell back to what I believed to be right. Right. Because I was in that position. Ultimately, I was in charge and I had to make that decision. And everything that happened was going to fall on me. So but I didn't hold a grudge because you didn't agree with me you know, I would just tell you, listen, I appreciate it. Thank you for telling me that. But we're going to go ahead. And this is why we're going to go ahead with this. Um, and you know, whatever, you know, because ultimately, it did come down to be my position. And it was my head that was on the chopping block, not yours. Right. So like, you know, like that was, you know, like, the, uh, I could think of one where, you know, my my whole thing was, if I if I couldn't determine the aggressor, like everybody's going so I go to a, I go to a, a I go to a job, a family dispute, and I get there, and the, the entire family's making allegations against each other. The brother's saying the other brother punched them. They all beat the father up. The sister punched them. I'm like, lock everybody up. Boss, I don't think we should do that. I'm like, yeah, I was like, I I, I get it, I appreciate it, but like, they're all going, you know, everybody's got to go. This is not a safe environment. Like, I don't feel comfortable leaving anybody here, and everyone has an allegation against them anyway. It's not it's not up to us to decide. Like, I don't care. They put it. They put their family problems, 30 years of problems, into my hand to solve in two seconds. My thing is go to family court and deal with it. Get arrested, all of you, and, and deal with it because I'm not solving it here. I'm not making this better right now in, in 10 minutes. So I was the crime sergeant at the time, the patrol sergeant who didn't show up to the insane job. Was like, we can't do that. I was like, I don't care, bro. You should have came here then. The lieutenant, when they get back, is like, John, what are you, crazy? All these people are in the cell. I'm like, I don't care. I'm like, I don't care. Like, that's the decision I made. They should all be in jail. And one of the cops, he actually didn't work for me. He was a patrol guy. He was very upset with me. He had a lot of time on. And I was like, I don't care. You know, I was like, I don't care. It is what it is. You know, it is what it is. Be upset about the decision. And about a year and a half after that job, he called me and said, thank you for that decision. And I'm like, what are you talking about? And he said, "Uh, I just responded to the job. And the father was tied up and they chopped his head off. And uh the first thing they did was pull up those dirs. and you know, he's like, I, my decision was wrong, your decision was right. And that's not to say that I, you know that there hasn't been situations where that's reversed. It's just to say like, there's gonna be times we don't agree, but you shouldn't. I never held a grudge at that cop because he gave me his opinion and I didn't follow it or it was and I, I still think it was the wrong opinion. Like vocalize it, but we went ahead when it was time to do the work. I was like, "No, we're doing it," and he did it. He followed through. So just, and he was mad at me. He didn't talk to me for a long time. Mm-hmm. I didn't. I wasn't gonna. I wasn't gonna go after him because I could. I didn't.
0: Well, I think also because you you also knew that this was based on a, a decision about business about how the job should be handled. It wasn't based on your. your because they had a, a personal issue with you. And I think that's where it's completely different. That's where the maturity comes in where I think Kaz Daughtry does understand that it's, if you're being criticized about your promotion and about your role in the police department, that's business, it's not something personal. I think it, he's taken it extremely personal and which means it's going to his ego.
1: Yeah, reverse that situation and, and that cop's mad at you and he tells you a different situation. You get a guy with that has a, a thin skin and a bad ego. He's coming after you, bro. Every day is going to be hard for you in the New York City Police Department. You come to work, you come to work with knots in your stomach. And I never wanted anyone in this department ever to come to work with knots. I, I knew how hard their job was. And my job as a supervisor was to not make their job harder, to alleviate those knots in their stomach from coming to work that's our job as supervisors and that's the best that we can do you shouldn't be the cause of somebody's grief you know and and you know and and when people are failing you should be that mentor to them you should take them under their way whether you like them or you don't you know spot on i I think that's well said you're absolutely right
0: you should mentor them and you're right if you had an ego and you had thin skin in that situation, that domestic job, you could have made those cops life a living hell. You could have turned it upside down. You could have taken it extremely personal and and just and just completely deteriorated every everyday life of them, which goes back to what we always talk about. The mental health of the police department is the the most contributing factor, is not dealing with the public, but dealing through the internal pressures of the NYPD. And we see it right now with with the with the leadership that's in charge, the cops really don't know. You know, there was a there was someone that follows us on Twitter. I don't know if you saw it, who responded to uh, something that you and I both said. It was great. But he said, he said, you know, the public is unsure of who's really running the police department. It must be pretty uh, must be pretty odd for what's going on for the NYPD. Also, so the public is starting to see it. There's no comp- vision, There's no there's no complete line of who's in charge with leadership. It's a very confusing time. It's confusing for everybody. So it, it's it's not good for public safety. I can tell you that. Everything has a complete effect. So, you know, with that being said, we're two hours into it. I think that uh, I, if you want to discuss any more, I, mean, I think this is, I think we nailed it. What do you think?
1: I just want to bring up one more point, and then I think we got to go because this is way too long. I um, like to keep them to an hour, but. Um, one more point. The social media um, admiration that Kaz Daughtry has for himself is insane. The media admiration, I mean, you can literally tell that him and a few other people are running around with photographers, and the majority of his work, I believe, is based around these social media posts and these photos and 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 I think that's a big problem too i think like fall back a little bit dude like fall back. i'm not saying not to have a picture and a post, but everything's about the leadership team everything's about look at us look what we're doing it's a little ridiculous dude it, re- it really it's like it's a little ridiculous and the amount of money that new york city taxpayers are spending on these embroideries and now he doesn't even have deputy commissioner; it just says commissioner you know it's like none of their embroidery sweaters by the way and, and we're falling back to uniforms we're falling back to uniform. the police commission has a goatee you guys all wear unauthorized sweaters that i've never seen those are not authorized those aren't any class of uniform by the way those pd sweaters with chief of patrol on the back or or or, or commissioner here i mean like how much money are we spending on embroidery like it's insane for unauthorized yeah. but you're saying we're going back to old school how are you going back to old school i just seen a Video and I didn't put it out because I didn't want to blast the guy, but a captain from the uh, chief of department's office, was he chief of chief of department or chief of patrols office? I forget. They go do some like like cleanup of of an area that was dirty, and they bring uh, a couple of different agencies there. And he's got a white turtleneck under under that like sweater that they all wear. Chief lieutenant, blah blah blah. Chief of department's office, right? Like whatever it said. And I'm like, he looked like a mess. And I'm like. What, what, what that doesn't look like a uniform? You're going, oh, and he, oh, he had a beard too. He had a beard too, like an untrimmed beard too. And I'm like, you guys look like a mess. This is the captain in the chief of department's office. You're a mess, but you're going back old school. I'm like, that whole thing. I just want that. I just wanted to bring up that.
0: I, no, I, I'll end with this though. I had put out a tweet today. I said that there was some picture of Kaz doing something. I, I forgot what it is. There's so many pictures. But I said this is the most photogenic administration I've ever seen, and it, it goes back to what I said when we talked on this podcast, maybe about six months or a year ago, when I said that the commanding officers compete with each other on Twitter. But obviously now we see it's 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 higher up in the ranks, and that's what this all it's about now. It's about who has a better social media page, who has a better social media influence, rather than public safety. We're we're not going back to the grassroots of policing. This is completely evolved into basically. Who can advertise themselves as the best politician? Get
1: stuff done, baby. No, <laughs> uh, I, I can't coin this phrase. This is an Alamo phrase, but I'm going to use it a lot. Pretend to get stuff done. Hashtag pretend <laughs> to get stuff done. Hashtag the finest unfiltered. Um, I don't even think they're in competition with each other anymore. I think they're in direct competition with this podcast, with our social media posts, and it really should stop you. It looks terrible, honestly. I don't even like being a part of it either because I feel like it diminishes the podcast. Like I'm like, <laughs> like, I don't even want to get it. Like, I don't even want to get back and, and forth with, with it like as much. Like I, I try to tail off, but there's always just so much stuff. And, uh, I just think there's always going to be, you know, it's, it's just, it's, a uh, it's the greatest show on earth, baby. So Eric, you want to end those? All right. Great. Listen, uh, I
0: think it was, this was, by far, went much longer than we expected. I mean, even b- before John, and I like I guess this one would probably be about 30 minutes talking about CCRB. But it it just shows there's just so much information. It has a huge impact on the police department. Cash dodging has a huge impact on the police department. What's going on the internal pressures within the CCRB numbers are absolutely ridiculous. 5,000. It, it, it's it's so minuscule. The police department, especially the boots on the ground, you got our full support. The men and women are doing a great job, as best as you can, with the with your hands behind your back and this emasculated department. And you're doing the best that you can. You know, we're going to point out what's going on out here, the perspective analysis, because we have the experience. But at the same token, yes, we're we're on, we're on the sidelines right now, and we're not exposed as you are. But you have our full support. You can reach out anytime you want advice, or you just. Want- you want to come on this podcast when you retire? You're welcome. We don't really suggest it for active members, but if you're active and hey, listen, you're going to best out. You willing to come on? God bless you.
1: Yeah, and don't be scared to criticize us either. Like we're not for two years. We've been getting all crazy things have been said to us. We never said a word about any of it. But when it's coming part of a systematic attack from the upper echelon, that's that's when it's a problem. That's when it's a problem. When you're threatening our kids, yes, we will respond because we're not going to sit there. We're not idiots at the same time either. We will defend ourselves. But if you want to be critical, you don't like what we talked about, you know, don't be scared. So guys, 265 Police Live, we are the expert,
2: baby. Law enforcement professionals dedicate their lives to serving and protecting our community. But who's protecting their financial futures? That's where Laidlaw Blue comes in. Our wealth management platform is specifically designed for the law enforcement community. Laidlaw Blue is a division within Laidlaw Wealth Management run by retired New York City detective John McDermott. His status as a retired detective uniquely positions him to establish a deep connection between Laidlaw Blue and the law enforcement community. Our platform is easy to use and provides a range of financial services, including investment management, retirement planning and insurance solutions. With Laidlaw Blue, you can secure your financial future and provide for your loved ones. Our team of experienced financial advisors understands the unique challenges and opportunities that law enforcement professionals face. We're here to help you navigate the complexities of financial planning, and achieve your goals. Laidlaw Blue. Secure your financial future today. Book a meeting using the QR code displayed or call us directly on 888-901-BLUE. That's 888 blue